Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Hello, dear superhumans. Welcome back to another episode with me, your host, Ariana. The future of longevity and healing is exciting and groundbreaking advancements are presently taking place in regenerative medicine. Our guest today, Dr. Adil Khan, is part of this revolution, and he specializes in stem cell therapy. Dr. Khan is a regenerative sports medicine specialist from the University of Toronto. He is an expert in musculoskeletal medicine, pain medicine, and regenerative medicine. Amongst other, Dr. Khan will share with us today the do's and don'ts of stem cell therapy, the current treatment options for physical and mental health, and how this therapy's healing properties could become a total game-changer for our global medical systems. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Dr. Adil Khan, welcome to the Superhumanize podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited too. What you are focused on in your career is a topic that I find absolutely fascinating. And I know very likely a large part of our audience today already has some knowledge about it. However, for those who are at the beginning of their journey to well-being and learning about all the tools that can help facilitate that, could you give us a bird's eye overview about what are stem cells? Yeah, so the best way I think to think about stem cells are the building blocks of life. So they help to regrow tissue and repair damaged tissue. So stem cells at a very basic level are cells that are going to help with regeneration and repair. But much more than that, they're also going to send signals. And those signals can have a variety of effects. This can range from reducing inflammation, from modulating your immune system, which means sending signals, which can help to change the signaling in your immune system if there's issues there. And then also the other function is reducing what's called scar tissue because it's called antifibrotic. So reducing fibrosis or scar tissue. So those are like the four main functions of stem cells. So regeneration, anti-inflammation, antifibrotic, and immunomodulatory. Excellent. Thank you for that, Dr. Khan. And with regards to stem cells, so there's different types. So some stem cells can be transformed into pluripotent stem cells. Can you do a little bit of a deeper dive into that for us, please? Yeah. And this is a, so this is an important topic because you can Google right now and like you could probably find the hundred stem cell clinics in the US, but none of them are actually pluripotent <laughs> because what does pluripotent actually mean? Pluripotent means that it has the ability to differentiate into a wide variety of type of tissue. So not just a few types of tissue. 
So if you, for example, if you go to a stem cell clinic in the US, the majority of them are just going to take your bone marrow or they're going to take your fat and then they're going to process it. And then they're going to say, here you go, this is a stem cell injection, but that's not a pluripotent stem cell injection. What that is, is what's called a committed progenitor cell. So it has a certain cell lineage it's going to differentiate into. And so it's a progenitor cell because progenitor cells still have the ability to differentiate into a certain type of tissue. It's not fully differentiated, but it's not pluripotent which means it has a wide variety of types of tissue that can go into. It's a committed progenitor. So meaning it already has the signaling cascade to say you're only going to turn into like fat or cartilage or muscle. So that's generally all you can create with like fat stem cells, for example. But with pluripotent, for example, which we can get from like umbilical cord stem cells, which are isolated from umbilical cord, then they're expanded and grown, which is not legal in the US. So therefore, if you are getting in the US, you should also, unless you're part of a clinical trial, it's probably not legal, in which case there can be other issues there. So you want to make sure if you're getting it done, go get it done somewhere at least legally. So that's why I'm in Dubai right now, because in Dubai, it's actually legal. It's approved by the ministry here and it's all regulated. And so what we do is we harvest the stem cells either from the umbilical cord or even from fat. But then you isolate what's called the mesenchymal stem cells, which are the MSCs. And then you grow them and expand them in a lab. And those MSCs are pluripotent, meaning they can have ability to turn into variety of types of tissue. And they can regenerate and repair from anything. We're talking like pancreas, kidney, we're talking heart, brain, neurological. So there's so many different areas where it's been used to help repair. If you Google, if you PubMed mesenchymal stem cells, you almost mm-hmm. be overwhelmed at how many studies there are now. It's over it's 50, over 1,500 last I checked. But there's a lot of studies on mesenchymal stem cells because they're pluripotent. And so for those of us who are seeking stem cell treatment, we're interested in it, but we are, let's say, in a country like the U.S., where we would not have legal access to pluripotent stem cells, Is there, are there certain conditions or certain health needs or desires where you could go with whatever is offered here in the US? Or would you say, bottom line, always go for the pluripotent stem cell treatment? No, for sure. I, I'm, in, I'm based out of Canada originally, like from Toronto. And, and so, for example, we do have the committed progenitor cells there too. It's called bone marrow aspirate or lipo aspirate, where you're just taking the fat or bone marrow and then you're processing it, injecting it back in. And those can still have a very strong anti-inflammatory effect. So it may not repair and regenerate tissue to the same extent mesenchymal stem cells could, but it can still reduce inflammation and pain. For example, if you have like a muscle tear or if you have osteoarthritis, but it's mild or early stages, it can work really well for that. So I would say if you're in those categories and there's many success stories, like that can still work, but for more degenerative chronic conditions, more advanced, severe, and especially once you're getting into outside of like orthopedics, There isn't really many applications for that type of product. I think for pretty much everything else, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, liver, everything else that and people are struggling, like whatever they've been struggling with, there's so many applications with mesenchymal stem cells that those progenitor cells can't really do. And can you tell us about a case that you yourself are familiar with, with the mesenchymal stem cells, where just an incredible outcome has been. Yeah. That's obviously the best part of my job is being able to change people's lives who otherwise had no hope and couldn't basically lost their. And especially the patients I'm seeing, because now I've got a bit of reach online. So I've seen people from all around the world and from all sorts of places. And, and a lot of people have tried, they've seen, I think the record I have, well, one patient, she saw 19 specialists and I was like her 20th. And she's like, why am I even seeing you? I have, but we were able to help her. But like a specific story, I think one patient, this one always resonates with me because 
He was actually, so he was actually in so much bad nerve pain that he was enrolled in medically assisted suicide. So they have this program now in Canada called MAID, which is medically assisted like dying basically. And because he had such bad nerve pain in his legs and he had seen dozens of specialists and he was just going to give up um, and he was on the list for it, but it, it takes six months or a year or something. And then he came to see me and then we did the stem cell injections. We do them around the nerve. We do them around the spine. Then we also use sometimes the plasma injections to help facilitate the muscles and ligaments. So we combine them to, for a spine approach. And then essentially six weeks, no, not six weeks, about two months later, his pain had reduced. Like it wasn't hundred percent better, but it was gone from like a 10 out of 10 to a three out of 10. And he, it was a much more manageable. He could live with it now and he could function. And the best part is once you could function, you can start exercising. And then once you can start exercising, the pain just keeps getting better and better and movement therapy. And then now he's pretty much back to a normal life. And that was like, obviously like I didn't directly save his life, but indirectly I was able to save his life because he was going to otherwise die. And there's a lot of sad stories like that. I'm especially now I'm working with a lot of veterans and unfortunately PTSD and chronic pain is so common and there's no real recourse for them. They're just, there's drugs. And if the drugs don't work, they're pretty much just hung out to dry. And yeah, and there's so many regenerative medicine options for them. Like even for PTSD, we can do, we can go into the vagus nerve and what's called a stellate ganglion and kind of re almost, we do what's called hydrodissection, which is around the nerve and it almost resets the nervous system and calms them down. It can help with anxiety as well. And then you can also inject it into the cerebrospinal fluid. So it goes into the brain and helps with neuroinflammation because neuroinflammation is a big problem too. And then we also target the gut when it comes to that too. So we do like a whole comprehensive type of treatment for even PTSD and anxiety because those can be really bad conditions where traditional medical care doesn't always have the options. But I think obviously in Mexico and stuff, we can also do IV ketamine and you can do there's psilocybin. There's a lot of that stuff too, but which is great, I think. But in, again, in the States and Canada, you're really like limited. That's incredible, Dr. Khan. And I had read before that there are actually applications for stem cells in order to further and to heal specifically mental health problems, which I think many people are not aware about, aware of. And concerning ketamine treatments, that's something I am personally very familiar with. I have done these treatments myself and we actually, a company of my husband's and mine, Gateway Sciences, one of our pillars is Gateway Clinics. It's a longevity clinic where we offer all kinds of healing modalities, infusions, and amongst other, also for mental health, however, also for chronic pain, ketamine and IV. And it's a phenomenal tool, not for everyone, but for many people, especially in conjunction with some other healing modalities. Now, what you just shared is really incredible and wonderful. I know that quite a few people in the audience probably have a question now. The gentleman who had this horrible nerve pain, of course, everybody is different. In his specific case, how many injections did his protocol comprise and what was the cost of it? So the injection itself is only one treatment session, which is amazing, right? But it was it was a lot of injections in that one session because we we do what's called a comprehensive like spinal approach. So we inject the nerves, we inject around the disc, we inject the facet joints, we inject the ligaments and the muscles supporting the structure. So it ends up being like maybe 15, 20 needles in one procedure. You do, you can get sedated for it. So it's not painful that way. And uh, yeah, and even though it's, it's one session, it is expensive. It usually ranges from 10 to $15,000, but, but at least it's not something most people need more than once in my experience for pain. 
for pain, for pain, stem cells work incredible. And a lot of times is one treatment is all you need. And people like, I'm probably wondering, oh, like, I can't believe someone wants to be like some people who don't have chronic pain, but I, I'll tell you like nerve pain is bad. Like it is something else on a different level that you can't like you, you sprain your ankle and you have a soft tissue, like even a fracture, it doesn't compare with like chronic severe nerve pain. That is something else. And when your pain meds can't control it, like people don't understand how bad it is. Yes, I have friends who have been suffering from chronic pain and some cases from for a decade and a half. I can't even begin to imagine how they manage and where I think these types of therapies that are now available would be fantastic for them. To date, though, in the US, this is not something that insurance covers, right? No, I can't see that happening for a long time, which is one of our projects with our company too, is to do FDA and Health Canada approved trials. So we're doing one right now in Canada. And then our plan is eventually to do some in, with the states as well, because we do want to get the regulatory approval. Like we don't want to just be on the outside the whole time, because the only way to really help a lot of people is to get regulatory approval and get insurance companies behind us, which is, I think once we can standardize the dosing a little bit more and have more specific protocols, and eventually I think it will be covered, but there's just so much pushback from this pharmaceutical industry mm -hmm. and the surgical industry and lobbies. So it's an uphill battle, but there's enough people now and there's people like you and so many other people obviously talking about it, like Joe Rogan, Tony Robbins, like everyone's kind of talking about it because they all have gone through it. So you can't, after a certain point, you can't really deny it anymore. You know what I mean? So I think we're at that inflection point. I agree, Dr. Khan. And whether you look at it just from a economic perspective, the cost of managing people who have severe pain or all kinds of other conditions for a lifetime. In the end, it costs insurances much more than more. potentially exactly. one, two, or three treatments, and then people are well. And as far as the societal impact goes of having individuals who are able to participate in life fully again, and not just the families who often suffer with the people who are suffering from a condition, but also as a society, the impact for a society as a whole, how we're doing. Yeah, this. exactly. You have people who are actually wanting to live and be productive. The number one cost to burden of society is actually chronic pain. People don't realize that. Of course, cancer, heart disease, those things kill more people. But what's the actual number one cost on the economic level? It's chronic and musculoskeletal disorders because of absenteeism and disability. And like you were saying, so people don't, I don't think always appreciate the importance of that stuff. And then there's obviously systemic issues too, like movement and people sitting too much and all that stuff. But at, a, at the fundamental level, like our prevention is not very good. Mm -hmm. That's a public health failure. And then our treatments aren't very good, which is a failure on the, a lot of the medical system and over-prescribing of drugs. Like I'm sure you know what happened with Purdue Pharmacy and uh, with OxyContin, OxyCodone, whatever. And you know how they basically got doctors to over-prescribe it and got, killed all these people because they got addicted on it. And so it's, it's a, there's a lot of systemic issues, but it's sad that we can't still standardize uh, the care for these chronic pain patients. But I think what you're saying about a stacking mobility, like different modalities is really the key. Like sometimes patients need multiple modalities to get better at the same time. So sometimes we have to use ketamine with the stem cells and then use light therapy as well, or hyperbaric oxygen. Like there's so many peptides, like there's so many other things you can combine it with. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And one other thing, you already mentioned it, but to illuminate another aspect of the issues that arise when people suffer from chronic pain, of course, is opioid addiction. And from opioid addictions, often it just goes downhill. And so in order to help people not go down that hole, we need to offer viable alternatives. Something I'd like to know from you, and I know that you also have a big focus on, of course, is I'd like to know what are the latest developments in the field of stem cell treatments? Yeah, there's two main areas where the field is headed. One is called induced pluripotent stem cells or iPSC cells. So iPSC cells are this really cool technology where you can just take what's called a somatic cell, which is just like, like your skin or your muscle cell or even a fat cell, and then you can reprogram it using these transcription factors back into a stem cell. So it sounds crazy, but yes, you can change one cell into another cell. So that's basically what you're doing. And in fact, the guy who started this, his name, his lab name was Yamanaka, Dr. Yamanaka, and he got the Nobel Prize for it like seven years ago or something. And basically the reason they were given the Nobel Prize is because it's just such a huge discovery that you could actually reprogram cells. And we, when that first happened, and they just opened a whole field of research with what's called iPSC cells. And now you're seeing, now we're finally starting to see iPSC cells in clinical trials with humans, because obviously there's like the animal phase and everything like that. And now we're going into human phase and we're seeing really promising results for like incurable conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and even blindness. There's stuff that's really remarkable. And the neck, and then the frontier on top of that, which is actually being worked on right now, are gene edited iPSC derived MSCs. So it's a mouthful, but basically we're editing this, we're editing the genes of the stem cells to send the signals that we want. So for example, there was a trial done with lupus in Germany. It was just 14 patients, but they did gene edited iPSC cells and they were able to cure lupus in all the patients. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Or sorry, it's CAR-T, but it's a similar type of technology. So basically CAR-T is a regular, it's a T cell, but it's the same principle, which is basically you're using genes editing to program the stem cell to do what you want. And then it sends a signal you want. And there's just a paper I read today actually about rheumatoid arthritis and how they were able to edit these cells to release interleukins to block the anti to block the inflammatory cascade for up to six months. So it's just like a gene, it's just like a cell injection that you get in the last for six months for blocking that. And so you're getting very specific and targeted. Whereas with the problem with the pharmaceuticals, they're so broad. And if you take those biologics to suppress your immune system, you risk your risk of cancer, it depletes your body of nutrients, and it increases your risk of so many other issues. And even just intravenous stem cells alone have been with peptides, I've had great success just using that for autoimmune conditions. So you can reprogram the immune system to a certain extent, even with what we have now, but the specificity of it is going to keep getting better with the gene edited stem cell technology. That's incredible. And let's say somebody is does not have a specific problem. Let's say I would come to you and say, all right, I'm doing pretty good all overall. And I would like to do something preventatively and to cut the clock of my biological age even more. What type of protocol would you, of course, after assessing? I find, yeah, of course. Yeah. I find in general, there's two things, especially women are interested in. One, One, we can talk about the cosmetic one. And because I think a lot of people do find that interesting because instead of getting Botox and fillers, which are again, synthetic and 
especially Botox, because what it does over time is actually weakens your muscles and decreases blood flow to the muscles. So if you eventually, you're going to, if you have to basically keep doing it your whole life, and then eventually you can actually cause sagging muscles, which can make you look older. So what we do is we do a stem cell facial using stem cells and exosomes and fibroblasts produce collagen and then the stem cells reduce inflammation and oxidative stress. So they help to reduce the fine lines and wrinkles. So I think from a cosmetic perspective and rejuvenation, a lot of people like that because it just makes them, obviously people always want to look and feel young, right? And that's just something that's our part is a big part of society. And then the other thing is the intravenous stem cells because the IV stem cells, they actually, they go through your whole body. And what they do is they replenish your stem cells, which deplete as you age. So one of the hallmarks of aging is called stem cell exhaustion. So exhaustion just means that the amount of stem cells you have the ability for them to carry out their function decreases, but also the stores of stem cells you have. So you don't have as many stem cells as you did when you were a baby, obviously. So, you know, when you're a baby, for example, you have about 200 million stem cells per two cells. And then by the time you're like 80, you have 1 million. So you're going from 200 million to like 1 million. So it's a huge difference, right? And obviously, if you can repair or restore some of that through intravenous stem cells, it's going to slow down the aging process. And there is evidence of increasing biomarkers of aging, such as like telomeres and whatnot, using intravenous stem cells. But more importantly, clinically, I can tell you, and we have data like I, on this as well, with so many patients, like thousands of patients where it's like everyone reports more energy, better recovery. Some people report better sleep, better mood. So you just feel younger. The most dramatic example I often give is you, we had this NHL player who was 35. So he's a professional hockey player and hockey is a tough sport on your body and he felt he felt pretty beat up and so he was yeah maybe i'm going to retire next year's my last season and then he did the iv stem cells and then within six months he said he felt like he was 25 again and he's going to keep playing so that's that's a huge, he did one treatment one IV. yeah yeah the IV is more expensive just because I'm sure people, like you said, probably wonder. So that usually ranges from 20 to 30,000. But yeah. it's one of those things, I think, if you can afford it, it, it and you're into health and longevity, like there's no downside and a lot of upside. And overall, it's just going to make you age more gracefully and it's going to slow down the aging process. Absolutely. And I think with time, as science advances, as the regulatory environment will also advance and be more open to these types of treatments, I think also the price will become democratized exactly. at a certain point. For sure. Because even two, even five years ago, it used to be like 50,000 for those IV stem cells. Because the stem cell, so the stem cells, the reason expensive is because it's called stem cell manufacturing to grow the stem cells in the process of growing them, but there's innovation happening on the manufacturing side. So for example, there's something called bioreactors, which are being worked on and miniaturized bioreactors where you can grow the stem cells into the billions at a fraction of the cost what it used to before. So I think in five years, there'll be more than half the cost it is now. And then and, and then by the end of the decade, it could be a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. And this is why the work that you and others in the field are doing is so important. And for those people, you know, who might criticize it, oh, this is just something for the rich. Yeah. And a lot of technologies, a lot of start like that. Yeah. used to be very expensive. If you look, for example, this is something completely different, of course, but mobile phones and how expensive they used to be, how expensive it used to be to take a flight, go on an airplane. So yeah. you do need some people Doctors. And that's why I say about, I say my analogy is always electric vehicle batteries. Mm -hmm. Look at the first Tesla in 2010 and it was like $150,000 and the car went like 200 kilometers. And, and, but the EV cost curve has gone down so much because the battery costs of making them has gone down. 
But it took, but the early adopters were the ones who paved the way for the people to like for more average people or higher income people to afford it. But the cost curve it keeps coming down, and I think it's going to be the same way. Any innovative technology, there's always going to be that exactly. uh, early adopters. Yeah. And you just spoke, so something else I'd like to illuminate for the audience is you just spoke about these reactors. Can you explain the different methods of farming stem cells, whether it's a person's own cells or so many don't understand the concept of how you actually get to the stem cells? Yeah. So for the the big change, it was actually like, like six, seven years ago, most people were using actually bovine. So from cow, like a fluid basically to expand the stem cells because that's all they had in the research. And then they switched it from, from that to what's called human platelet lysate or HPL. Uh, and then that was much more cost effective. And then now they still use like a medium, like a culture medium where they have to grow it individually into those human platelet lysate medium. And then they put the stem cells in there and then they have to expand them over two to three weeks. But now with the bioreactors, you can do that. You can expand them, the stem cells into, in a couple of days, and you can expand them into the hundreds of, not hundreds of billions, but into the billions. So instead of just 100, two, right now, let's say 200 million stem cells take about three weeks to make somewhere at that time frame, two to three weeks. But with the bioreactors, like this little enclosed, like bioreactor, literally, and they, and then they literally help to, they grow the stem cells in a fraction of the time and they have, and they're much cheaper too. So that's the idea behind it. Something that often comes up when I talk about stem cells with people, friends who are interested and who have you talked to recently and what's happening in the world of longevity, extending lifespan and health span. When it comes to stem, stem cells, quite a few are still like, ah, they bring up the word, and what about cancer? And so to clarify this, are there any downsides regarding stem cell infusions? And are there certain people who should not get stem cell treatment? Yeah. So th this was actually, for the longest time, I was even hesitant. And I'm always, I think as a scientist, you should always be trying to prove yourself wrong. And, and I was very skeptical of the IV stem cells. And like, I was very against it initially because I was just like, I don't think there's enough data or if there's a risk of cancer, but then there's just so much more data has come out in the last couple of years, especially. And like there, none of this research has shown any risk of cancer. And in fact, it actually can reduce the risk of cancer because what it does is it creates an environment that reduces the risk of cancer because there's less inflammation, less oxidative stress. It helps with mitochondrial function. It helps with immune dysfunction. It's helping with just stabilizing your genes too, because of genomic instability. So it has all these effects on the hallmarks of aging and what can lead to cancer ultimately. So it's actually promoting an environment that's going to help your ability to fight off cancer. Should your cells start to mutate, your repair mechanisms will be better and your immune system will be better prepared to deal with illnesses and chronic disease as well. So in fact, having a better stem cells or more stores and rejuvenating your body from that perspective is beneficial. Now, if you have active cancer in your body, do you want to do IV stem cells? No, but I probably wouldn't because if you have active cancer, there are growth factors in the stem cells that could potentially make the active cancer worse. So I think that's the only situation where I would say that's where we probably wouldn't do it. But other than that, like there isn't really many, any contraindications that we commonly occur. Mm. And talking about cancer, is it correct? I've heard that all of us have some type of cancer cells in our body at any given time, but it's not actual, it's not concurrent with, oh, you have cancer. Exactly. So yeah. The cell, and that's why we actually, so one of the companies I partnered with, it's called Helix Safe, if people want to look it up at H-E, 
L-I-X-A-F-E, and it's the first world's first technology to look at the prodromal phase of cancer. So meaning it's called cancer driver interception. So basically before cancer actually develops, there's a five to 15 year window. And that's called the prodromal phase where the, the cellular pathways start dysregulating. So there's genomic instability. You can see chronic inflammation. At a cellular level, you can start Start seeing these changes. And then we know that people who have these changes are going to be at increased risk of cancer or are going to get cancer. So right now in current medicine, it's just, okay, you do some blood tests or an MRI and you hope you don't have cancer and you're like, yeah, I'm good. But can we do something to actually prevent it before it happens? So this is the first test in the world that actually does that because it detects it before it actually happens. So it mm. looks at a, it's a specifically genomic instability. So I, yeah, so we're actually going to partner with them because obviously it's good for measuring anti-aging interventions as well, because we can see before and after to make sure our interventions are also having a powerful effect on a cellular level. But most importantly, I think it's just, it's a big need in the market because right now it's just, there's no, it's just kind of like hope and pray you don't have cancer right now. <laughs> And so with this kind of a assessment, can, can you pinpoint exactly in case there is a, something that could develop into a cancer five or 10 years, 15 years down the road, can you pinpoint where exactly that would be? You, what you can only say on a cellular, because if you think about a cancer, all disease starts at a cell and a cellular level, right? And you can't say, no, you, you can't specifically say, oh, it's in your breast or something or in your lung. But what you can say is there's something going on in the cell that's going to potentially turn into cancer. And then if you really want to do more testing, you could do like a full body MRI or something and then figure and see if there's something growing or something like that. But then it might be too early stages where it's only on a cellular level and there's no actual lesion or maps. So then at that point, it's the interventions are more based off like lifestyle more or less. And then there are some, there are some evidence for metformin maybe being like, I know some of the anti-cancerous and potentially having longevity benefits. So sometimes there might be some pharmaceuticals you could use too. But basically the point of the test is to identify so then you can start doing something about it before it develops into cancer. In general, I would think it would be a good idea for any of us who are interested in maintaining a really spectacular health and a long lifespan to actually adapt, adopt these lifestyle changes anyhow, even if there's... Exactly right? Even if we don't do a test. So what are some of the key things that you would recommend? For lifestyle? Or let's say you yeah. have somebody who where actually there's identified, okay, there's something happening at the cellular level, you may want to change some. Yeah, exactly. It's all the stuff your audience probably is very familiar with. It's like the fundamental pillars, which is like exercise, but like I exercise is a very complicated topic, which is something I could talk for hours on its own because I'm into bodybuilding and stuff like that myself. And I've just been consumed by it for since I was like 18. But the point is the gist of it is most people need to put on more muscle and not necessarily focus on that. But, and because the muscle actually, what it does is it secretes something called myokines. And those myokines are signals that get sent and they turn on oncosuppressor genes. So those oncosuppressor genes help to decrease your risk of getting cancer, obviously down the road. But there's so many other benefits those myokines have too, like reducing inflammation, diabetes risk, Alzheimer's, all sorts of stuff. And then of course there's, there's sleep, stress, nutrition, and then community and meaning purpose. Like they're just the like fundamental pillars, I would say of like longevity and health. And I think most people probably have a good gauge of like how to do those, but often they just don't know how to stick to those and <laughs> figuring out setting up your environment in the right way so that it makes it easy to stick to good patterns. I think there, nutrition is one that I think there's a lot of misinformation about. I, the biggest thing to, I like take away, if you're going to take away one thing about nutrition is just it's, it's, it really individualization. 
People often want to be like, oh, I should do keto because this person's doing keto. I should do carnivore because this person or vegan because this person's doing it. It's your body's different. And I think using a continued glucose monitor to figure out how your body responds to different foods, using blood work and inflammatory markers. And there's something now called functional genomics. There's a company called the DNA company, and it really does a good breakdown of seeing based off your genetics what type of food would work best for your body and exercise programs. So there's ways you can get very specific now. So like, we don't, you don't just have to guess. And I think that's the way to do it. Excellent. I actually just took a note of that in case you heard the clicking, the DNA company, (laughs) functional gymnomics. I'm of course going to put all of this great information also into the show notes. I'm convinced that we're moving towards an era where our body will be our pharmacy in a sense, and where will be very individualized, where that will also be very easy to do with the advancement of technology instead of just blanket prescriptions that have a very broad approach and, or like what you just said, oh, do keto because it's doing keto or become vegan because so-and-so is thriving being a vegan. The same approach does not work for everyone. Something else you mentioned before is peptides. So is that also something you use in conjunction with stem cells? Yeah, with stem cells, for sure. Because so peptides, for people who don't know, like I always say the easiest way to understand a peptide is think of insulin because everyone knows insulin. That's the most famous peptide. And it's just a signal that tells your body to shuttle sugar from the blood into the cells. But peptides can be designer peptides now, and they can send signals to do all sorts of things. So there's weight loss peptides, there's peptides to help with gut health, to help with like brain health, function pain, all sorts of things. So the peptides we focus on with when it comes to regenerative medicine is we want to try to facilitate the stem cell function and enhance your body's response to stem cells. So the two that we often use with that are BPC-157, which is some people say is like the bulbarine peptide because it helps with regeneration and healing, but it also has an effect on your gut. And the gut we know now the gut communicates with pretty much every organ in your body. There's like the gut brain access, the gut disc access, which means your back, gut joints, gut pancreas, gut. basically the gut's communicating. It's like its own little brain when it's communicating with your body. So if your gut is, has issues, it's going to affect regeneration, repair your immune system. So that's why I think the BPC has such a powerful effect. And then often with that, I like to also use someone called AC and hypermorelin, uh, which is a growth hormone releasing peptide. But the GH peptide can be useful because it also helps to promote stem cell function and enhances the, basically what we want to do. So if the reason why some people might have not had great results with stem cells, but it's not that the stem cells don't work because stem cells have the raw materials in there to work, right? Obviously, because they're stem cells. So why why isn't it working in your body? It's because the two biggest reasons that we know of is if it's too hypoxic or there's too much inflammation. So meaning if the environment the stem cells are in, they can't survive and they can't do what they need to do. So is there things that we can do to increase the chance of survival of those stem cells? And that's what the, I think the peptides can do. And same with like adjunctive therapy. So like, for example, some people do like photobiomodulation, uh, which is like the, like that red light therapy, like low level light laser therapy. I don't know if you've seen those big machines, like the, or big, it's almost like a sun tanning bed, but it's like the red lights and it's photobiomodulation and you go in there and it can, it produces nitric oxide and it reduces inflammation and it opens up your diet your blood vessels and the vascular system, which makes you, and it migrates stem cells from your bone marrow. So it makes your body more receptive to the stem cells. 
Um, yes, I'm in the same way. Big fan of it. I have a red light pillar at home and also have an infrared sauna. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That's why you. That's why you look so young, right? So, <laughs> and then uh, and then the hyperbaric oxygen. Same. It's a different principle, but same idea. Yeah. We're trying to promote oxygenation of the cells, which is going to help create an environment for the stem cells to survive. So the, I think that's the big thing with stem cells is that I think if the technology is there and it's effective in most people, but some people it may not be because their body isn't set up for success. So you have to sometimes do the work beforehand um, with the lifestyle stuff, with the adjunctive therapies before you guys get the stem cells. And I, I think that's a hard conversation to have sometimes with people because they're just, especially with me, because they're coming to me to be like, I want stem cells. <laughs> and but <laughs> wait a minute, like you might need to do this stuff first and then come back. There's a lot of people who are suffering from some pretty severe conditions or illnesses. It's not like these came on all of a sudden. So many of them have been lifestyle induced for many years or even decades. I have a quick question. This is personal because somebody near and dear to me. So for someone that is, and again, I know this is probably not easy to make a blanket statement without actually having met and talked and diagnosed this person. But so somebody that is dealing with leukemia, and of course, there's also different types in general, would looking at stem cell treatment possibly be a good idea for them? Uh, yes, I, there's one specifically, which you can get in some countries. And I think FDA actually had approved some of them too. It's called CAR, the CAR-T therapy. I saw it earlier. So CAR-T, C-A-R-T, it's a specific type of it's not technically a stem cell, but it's the same principle, which is like you're editing these T cells, which are part of your immune system, and you're programming them, you're programming them to actually kill the cells in leukemia. So I'm pretty sure there is one approved treatment, I believe, for, I, but it depends on the type of leukemia, but CAR-T would be the one to look into. So CAR-T is another cell, it's a cell therapy. So I think we, these cell therapies are really the future, right? Whether it's stem cells, but what we're working on now is we're working on nanoengineering or programming exosomes and stem cells to target specific tumors or just target leukemia cells. So that's what um, we're working on with the stem cells. But I, the one that is available right now is probably CAR-T. That would be an option for that. Yeah. Thank you for that input, Dr. Khan. And yeah, that sounds really encouraging what you just mentioned. So I'd like you to expand a little bit on that. In your opinion, what do you think is the future of stem cell research and also the application thereof? Yeah, it's, it's really the intersection of three things. So it's cell therapy, which we talk a lot about, and then gene editing and tissue engineering. So it's the intersection of those three together that's going to provide us with the next generation of regenerative medicine therapeutics. So a perfect example of this is using like a 3D bioprinter to biofabricate and print a synthetic polymer scaffold and then seeding it with stem cells and then regrowing cartilage. So that's like really the next gen tech. Which is again, these aren't science fiction anymore. They're actually happening in clinical trials. So they're not far away from being in real world application. So I think by seeing these three things come together, we're really going to have a birth, like the true birth of regenerative medicine. Because regenerative medicine, I would say in the last 30 years, it just, it just took those last 30 years to get to where we are today. But now we're actually at the beginning of the real regenerative medicine revolution. So it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be really exciting, like I would say 20 years, because I think we're going to see like medicine replacing traditional medicine completely. That's, I can't wait to see what's happening and everything is getting so accelerated. So many different branches. Well, of and the problem, I think a lot of people are probably like, oh, why doesn't my doctor talk about this? Or why doesn't my doctor know about this? Is because the medical knowledge system in, in 1950, it, take, it used to take about like 
it was something like it, from like 1900 to 1950, it took that long for the medical knowledge to double. And then, and then it slowly became like 20 years and 10 years, whatever. And now guess like how long it takes for the medical literature to double. It's 90 days. I guess insane. Like it is insane amount of knowledge that is being disseminated and transmitted out there. Like even I, as a subspecialist in my little field, have a hard time keeping up with just regenerative medicine because there's so much research and so much stuff coming out every week. So uh, your family doctor has zero chance or your orthopedic surgeon has zero chance of keeping up with what's going on in there unless they're like an expert in this area. So don't like you're just asking the wrong person when you're asking those people those questions. So that's just something I feel a lot of patients get sometimes derailed or saddened when their family doctor says, oh, that's garbage. It doesn't work or whatever. It's just because they don't have the education around it. Thank you for giving us your perspective on this. And I think this is actually very helpful for people to keep in mind. And also it's extremely encouraging to hear incredibly and incredible to hear how quickly medical knowledge just doubles at which rate. That's absolutely amazing. Dr. Khan, you're obviously somebody who not only takes good care of others, but you also take great care of yourself. And I'd like to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests, which is, would you be willing to share a practice of yours? Could be something new, something you've had for a long time that has elevated your life mentally, physically, and or spiritually? Yeah, I think one that maybe some people don't talk about, but I think it's at least important to me. And I think it is important to a lot of people is like testing your strength to its limit. So doing what's called a one rep max. So this isn't something you do easy, like just on your own, but with like professional and you can work your way up to really testing your true strength for the max set of rep. Why is that important? Because it tests your mental and physical discipline. And it also, I think it also does have some benefits that other lifting weights in with higher reps, whereas with those lower reps, really strength training, there's some benefits I think that we just don't fully understand yet. But I feel like there is definitely some cellular physiology going on there with, with those one rep max where you're just pushing yourself to the max and like you have to like really focus or else the weight's not going to move. That That's something unique and special. I think that's someone you, everyone needs to experience at one point. <laughs> Oh, super. Thank you for that. I will actually put that into my regular <laughs> routine. Excellent. Yeah. If you have a trainer, they can program, you can do, you can program it in basically. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It makes total sense. Dr. Khan, for people who would like to learn more about what you do or get in touch with you, maybe even work with you, how can they do? Yeah. I try to make myself very accessible on Instagram. It's just at dr.akhan, K-H-A-N. And the reason I'm accessible, even though I get endless emails and messages, but it's because I try to remember that there's a lot of cases, but one girl in particular, I remember she she had this really bad breathing issues after she got COVID. And just because I checked my DMs and I responded to her, we were able to do the IV stem cells. And now she was only 30 and she couldn't work out. She couldn't, she could barely function. And now she's back to a normal life. And it was just because I checked my DM and I responded to her. And so to me, it's always like, if I can help a single person and get back to them, then, you know, it can make maybe change someone's life. So I try to always stay on top of it as much as I can. 
Fantastic. And oh gosh, that brings something to mind. Just on a quick side note, so many people are dealing with the after effects of COVID, also known as long COVID. I personally have heard devastating stories, especially what's so heartbreaking young people who were on such a great trajectory, had all the promise in the world and opportunity in the world. And then they get COVID and the effects of long COVID, they're basic functioning on a very basic level, but mentally and physically, they're not capable of doing anymore what they were were able to do prior. So would these stem cells be- Yeah. And so basically we use IV stem cells and what's called purified amniotic fluid, which are like IV exosomes. Exosomes are just derived from stem cells. They're like the, think of it like if you have chicken soup, the chicken is the cells and then the soup with the nutrients are the exosomes. So we just isolate the exosomes from the amniotic fluid. And then we put that IV as well. And there's a lot, there's actually good research on IV amniotic fluid for long COVID and then same with IV stem cells. So they're the only effective treatment I know of besides, I know there's a lot of protocols with like nutraceuticals and lifestyle and stuff like that. But sometimes that's not enough. And then it's what do you do, right? So the outcomes have been like for that, that's definitely one thing it works really well for. And so we're talking again about potentially even just one treatment. And exactly, yeah. That's very encouraging. I actually have somebody who I want to share that with. So thank you for that, Dr. Khan. Thank you for making time. It's evening your time in Dubai right now. So yeah. It's it's nighttime here, but Dubai is a fun place and swarm, so I can't complain. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I wish you a great evening. And again, thank you for being a guest on the Superhumanize podcast. And I look forward to hopefully connecting with you at some point in real life as well. Fascinating work you do. All right. Thank you. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.